obviously with Budweiser. Uh, these are all brands that, you know, on some level have their have their fingers or, or at least their their R&D involved in cannabis. And so I think what you're going to see is probably CBD beverages first that will come out from, you know, from the Pepsis and the AB InBev's and the Miller Coors of the world getting the first, you know, Super Bowl ad. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Lisa Weezer, founder of Trailblaze. Lisa, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Just watching it snow out here in Colorado and... Excited to talk to another East Coaster. Is that what we decided before the show? So she's in the Eastern Time. <laughs> she's in the Eastern Time Zone. So I think that would have to put her on the East Side <laughs> of the map. Cool. So Lisa, before we dive in, it'd be great for our listeners to get a little background about you and how you got into the cannabis space. Sure. Um, well, um, in my previous life, I was head of marketing communications at AB InBev, which you probably know best as Budweiser in Bud Light, the king of beers. Um, and I oversaw brand communications for their entire U.S. portfolio of beers um, and non-beers. Um, you know, half of the category now is spike seltzers, et cetera. Um, and that included, you know, all of their Super Bowl spots, um, sponsorships of you know, everything from the Grammys to, you know, basically every sports league. So it involved a lot of travel, a lot of events, a lot of, you know, marketing and advertising, celebrity work, et cetera. Um, and getting to work with a lot of, you know, big names and big budgets. So moving into cannabis was very humbling in that um, I lost a lot of those resources. Um, but it was around about 2017, I think, when I first saw uh, Constellation make their initial investment in canopy growth, which was about a 10% investment. It's now almost 40%. Um, that was a real bellwether moment where I saw everybody around me kind of start to freak out in the alcohol world because it was like, okay, this is happening. Like these worlds are coming together. Uh, you know, alcohol is going to stop fighting marijuana and actually like back it. Um, and uh, for me, that was really a signal um, that it was, it was time to bounce and start my own practice. And at that point I had done about six Super Bowls, and, you know, it was starting to feel like Groundhog Day. Um, so I was ready for something new. Um, so I made the leap, uh, to start my own practice, which I really launched in 2018, starting by getting into cannabis beverages since I knew that space really well. Um, and, you know, started humbly taking kind of any client that I could work with, you know, small budget startups, um, but, you know, my dream was to get back into working with big brands again. And within about two years, we had become an agency of record for Canopy Growth, ironically, the company that triggered me to get into the industry. Um, so it kind of has come full circle. And I'm really glad that you shared that. So kind of before we dive into some of those specifics, moving from such an established, well-positioned career to cannabis, was there hesitancies? Was there people around you saying, Lisa, like, what are you doing? It's cannabis. Can you kind of take us through that experience? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't tell anybody <laughs> that I was doing it right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I think I was most afraid to probably tell my parents, even though I'm like in my 40s, you're still afraid to tell your parents that, right? Because um, they always want you to like have that solid job, have insurance, have stock. Um, and I was shocked that my parents really backed it. I think that they understood the opportunity with cannabis and also had seen, you know, what my lifestyle had been like for the past several years, um, you know, behind the scenes, a job like that, it's a dream job, but it is a lot of work. 
it is a lot of travel. It is a lot of strain. Um, and so, um, you know, and ultimately I think that there's a big difference, um, working for somebody else's brand versus building your own brand. And I really felt like it was time, you know, um, if I was going to work that hard to do it for myself. So got a lot of backing there. Um, that said, you know, in my role, I've been a spokesperson for a lot of brands, um, so the day that I had to turn all my socials over from Budweiser to cannabis was definitely frightening because at that point I was still getting calls from other CPG companies. Um, and I did feel that once I really signaled and branded myself as cannabis, that I might not ever be able to go back. Um, and that it could be like the death knoll for my career. Um, shockingly and to my great, you know, surprise and pleasure I think it's probably the thing that made my career. You know, I really thought Budweiser was going to be the height of my career. Um, but cannabis, especially at the time that I got in it, there weren't very many people doing it, especially in marketing and PR. Um, so it was actually um, a way to really build my brand and stand out. Um, and because I knew so many people in the entertainment industry, the CBG industry, they all knew I had made the move. And once they did, they started referring people to me because they all were like, oh, I know somebody doing cannabis. So to this day, four years in, 100% of my business is referral based. I've never had to do marketing or go try to pitch a new client. It still all comes in referrals from my network, which has been fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know one of your clients is Marymed, and we, we had the fortune of time of speaking with Howard about the uh, the genius marketing opportunity. So I'd love to get from your perspective, when Mary Med approached you about the, the brownie idea, can you take us, you know, what your role was in that and what it was like kind of moving on from, let's say, the origin of the idea, getting the photo, and then how you approached media with it? Yeah. Well, in this case, they didn't approach us with the brownie idea. They approached us with a challenge. Um, if you talk to Howard and you know him, he is, um, you know, a storied marketer in his own right. Um, and um, a pretty tough cookie when it comes to a client. There's, they always say there's nothing worse than having a client that comes from the same background as you because they know exactly what they're doing and they're going to push you harder than anybody else. And that's Howard. He knows it. Um, and so, you know, when he hired us, he said, I want a PR stunt once a quarter. You know, we're going to, um, he kind of hired us on spec, but was said, basically prove yourself. I want a stunt. But he didn't really give us any parameters other than, you know, here's some of the things we're going to be doing this quarter. So we took a look at what they had coming up. Um, and one of the things that was coming up was the launch of this brand, Bobby's Baked, which was um, an edibles brand that included little brownies. Um, but the problem was that they were they were launching it in one market, Massachusetts, not even in Boston, but, you know, in a small dispensary about 90 minutes outside. And, um, you know, it so it had really limited availability. Also, they were launching it right before the holidays, which is a terrible time <laughs> to do anything um, because it's such a busy you know, time for reporters and there's so much other news going on. So we looked at that and um, you know, decided that we wanted to build a stunt around that moment. Um, we always keep what we call a cultural calendar. So my team at the beginning of the year, we look at everything that's going to be going on in the year from you know, the Super Bowl and the Grammys to some of those silly little days like, you know, National Brownie Day. And, you know, you see them on Instagram now, right? It's like, oh, it's sibling day. It's dog day, whatever. Um, so um, we put all of those on the calendar um, as well as the cannabis moments like 420. And we look at the clients we're representing and we try to make some matches and see if we can find, um, you know, some fun ways to bring their brands to culture. So in this case, we saw National Brownie Day was coming up, coinciding with the general timing that they wanted to launch this brand. 
So we um, approached them with three ideas. One of them was for this brownie. Um, the first idea we approached them with, we actually liked better, but was going to cost, you know, six figures to do once we started stacking it out and it just wasn't in the budget. So we went back to the drawing board with this brownie idea and presented it to Howard. Um, he loved it, um, helped us build on it because, you know, we had the idea, but we couldn't make the brownie. He had to help us get that done in their facility and he had to sell it in, um, you know, it's kind of a, what might've seemed a silly, risky idea, um, you know, into his leadership. So he really, um, you know, helped us take it to the finish line so that it could actually execute. And then, you know, he trusted us to do it. It was really a true agency client collaboration where we all rolled up our sleeves and figured out how we were going to get this done. Um, and uh, turned out to be, you know, one of the most viral stories of the year, even at the end of the year, which we're still blown away. Um, I think it still surpassed even my biggest Super Bowl ad in terms of impressions. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you shared that because I was trying to compare it to a Super Bowl impression and I, I wasn't even sure because once the numbers get up to that size, it's almost really challenging to know because the numbers are, are almost silly at that certain point. So take yeah. us through that process, right? You get the photo. How how do you go about you know communicating with mainstream media about this? Because there's always sometimes a hesitancy we found with mainstream media covering cannabis companies, whether it's their audience is different or there's a stigma attached. So is that a challenge that you had when you wanted to get this this photo and try to get it into the ecosystem? Yeah, well, just to back up, I mean, part of the reason that we decided to, to peg this to National Brownie Day and part of the reason that we have a cultural calendar is because um, reporters have an incredibly hard job, right? They have to write several stories a day sometimes, if not, you know, per week, and they have to sell them into their editors. And, um, you know, for a story to get written, it has to kind of have a sense of urgency, a reason to write it today, right? Um, so when you're pitching, they're getting 100 or more pitches a day. So you have to give them something with a hook, right? So, um, you know, that was part of why we picked this day is so that there would be a moment. Um, and granted, National Brownie Day is not a day that you probably even heard of before. It's not like it's a huge moment, but we knew that it would give them a reason to write. Um, but beyond that, we knew that they needed to have a strong visual asset. So, you know, in talking to Mary Med and to Howard, you know, we kind of said, here's what we need to make this successful. And, you know, we need you to be able to actually make the brownie, right? And it needs to be big enough, uh, you know, to be significant, right? If we're going to get the types of results that we want. Um, so we went and we looked at Guinness and we looked at what the biggest one was, um, you know, we did, we kind of scoured Google to see what anybody else had done, what visuals existed um, so that we could come up with kind of the base parameters of what we needed this thing to be. And then we said, look, we need a strong photo. We need one really strong visual asset. It can't be photoshopped. It can't be overproduced. It has to be like a money shot, but it has to feel authentic. Um, and that was really what we asked for. And that's what they delivered. Um, you know, they, they, organized the photo shoot the day of, very lo-fi, um, you know, just getting a photographer in there with a camera and figuring out how to shoot this thing, getting the actual people that baked it um, in the photo, which turned out to, um, you know, add a lot of fun. The expressions on their faces, I think, got a lot of the, the commentary and pickup. Um, so, and that's always true, you know, when you are, when you're building something for marketing, especially in a digital world and especially during a pandemic when everybody is looking at a screen all day, a strong visual is what you have to absolutely lead with. Um, the other thing that we asked for was just to buy the numbers view. So we knew that we needed to say this thing weighs 
this many pounds. It has this many milligrams. We actually had um, an infographic built to go along with the photo. Um, that didn't get as many as much pickup, but we were able to pitch and say, this thing weighed this much. You know, it took this many sticks of butter, this many pounds of flour. And I think that really helped to bring it to life uh, for reporters and help them kind of understand the magnitude of it. And that helped with the pickup. It's it's so it's so well done. And I really enjoyed it as a marketer by trade, kind of like going through the process, seeing it, recognizing what was actually happening, and then kind of going back and figuring out like, why is this thing so amazing? I keep staring at this photo and I don't understand why I'm obsessed with the concept of it. So two quick questions for you and then we'll kind of bring Kellen in. I apologize, Kellen. Lisa, did you know in your gut that this was going to work? Like when you saw the photo, did you have a feeling that this was going to hit? And then second, at what point after you kind of started pushing out and doing some of the press for it, did you recognize this thing is really taken off? Sure. Well, I mean, look, we were asked to do a viral stunt and it's always the worst when someone asks you to make something go viral because you can't make something go viral, especially when you're doing PR, which is earned, meaning you're not paying anybody to write anything. You're not putting any money behind this. You're completely counting on the zeitgeist to pick this thing up. Um, that said, I've done a lot of these things in my career. So I know what the formula is in terms of what people will pick up. What you can't control is timing. I mean, I once worked on um, a campaign and a stunt that was supposed to launch and the day it was supposed to launch turned out to be the Boston Marathon bombing, right? Like if something else happens in the news, it can completely take over, right? Um, and we didn't have a ton of flexibility on the state because we had decided to do it on National Brownie Day, right? Um, but we knew that we had a formula that was intended to work. We had, you know, the great photo, um, you know, a, a great story behind it. I mean, we know that the first idea that we had, I'll, I don't know if Howard shared, but the first idea, there's also um, the same week, there's a National Gingerbread Day. And we were going to build the world's biggest gingerbread house that was edible and decorate it with a bunch of edibles. Um, but then when we were looking at fabricating it and the legalities of transporting it and how it was going to be done, it was getting really expensive and really complicated and time intensive. And we just couldn't get it done in the time frame. Um, but sometimes the best ideas are simple and like who hasn't had an edible brownie experience or a third of one. It's just the first thing people think of when they think of an edible. So we knew that it was going to be so relatable to the masses. And even if you've never touched cannabis, like you know what a cannabis brownie is. Um, so I think that this idea actually ended up more effective than a, a gingerbread house ever could have been. So sometimes you get a happy accident when you have the challenge of, of time and budget, right? So that was the first piece of it, um, you know, but with, there's never there's never a guarantee that it will work. In terms of when we knew it was working, um, we actually announced it the day before National Brownie Day um, by design because we knew that reporters would need time to like get our call or email or text, write the story, you know, that they were going to have, that it was going to take some time. So we wanted to get it to them the day before. Um, and there's always that nervous moment, you know, the first six hours of that day, we sent it out and, you know, we were waiting and there weren't really, there was maybe a story, two stories, but we weren't getting like the huge response. And I remember telling Howard, like, wait for it, <laughs> wait for it. And around, I think maybe 1 p.m., 2 p.m. in the afternoon, it really started picking up. TMZ picked it up. Um, we started seeing some influencers tweeting about it that had a lot of followers. So it started getting traction on social. Um, and then, you know, what happens with a stunt, if you're successful, 
is that people start writing stories about the stories. So you stop having to pitch it and send it to people. They just start seeing it and writing about what they're seeing. And then, you know, people start riffing on it, meaning it, and it gets a life of its own. And by the afternoon of the day that we launched it, that was happening. So that the next day was National Brownie Day and it was running. Um, one of the funniest things was the first person I pitched it to was a, a writer at USA Today who covers a lot of the national holidays. And she said, you know, Brownie Day just never gets a lot of traction for us. I'm probably going to pass on this, but send it to me anyway. So I did, and they didn't write about it until it went viral, and then they wrote about it. So they initially passed, but then once it became, you know, um, everywhere and interesting, then they decided to write about it. And USA Today is probably the most mainstream mom and pop publication that you're going to get. So to have a pot brownie on the cover, you know, of that lifestyle section is money. Yeah, that's super satisfying. Yeah, that's when you know you made it. It's a it's a huge achievement for the industry <laughs> as a whole, though, right? Like you're not just yeah. fighting you know individual battle; you're fighting also the, the stigma battle of cannabis and kind of parlaying that together. So that's a huge achievement for the industry, especially for a cannabis cannabis standpoint. Yeah, and I think that's what everybody in the industry is trying to do: is to mainstream and normalize this thing. Um, you know, that was goal A. Our second goal was just to help put Merrimed on the map. You know, um, you know, the, our tagline is actually that we put brands on the map, right? We really like to work with emerging brands that people maybe haven't heard of or don't know a lot about yet. Um, we do work with some really big names, um, but we work with a lot of smaller names. And Merrimed is a smaller MSO that is doing everything right, that is really on it, riding kind of a starship up right now. Um, but that was really a moment um, that I think helped them get a lot of media attention, um, not just amongst press and consumers, but also amongst analysts and investors and, you know, potential retail partners. So created a lot of excitement and I think business traction for them above and beyond. Um, so, you know, it's good for the industry, but it's also, you know, good for, um, you know, it's, it ultimately is about a lot more than just one good PR stunt. I think that it can deliver business dividends. Um, and, you know, it even bumped the stock price for, you know, it actually stayed up, but it really bumped it for about a week. So, you know, it really did, it really did deliver for a $3,000 investment. I was literally just going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would <laughs> say it paid for itself. So now I want to make sure people know it normally can cost more than $3,000. <laughs> I was going to ask a question but. about that. Has it... Has it been uh, even more satisfying being able to kind of utilize all these skill sets that you generated working at kind of a bigger brand like Budweiser? And then coming into cannabis, you mentioned like the first idea was going to be six figures, which probably is not a big deal in Budweiser world. But mm -hmm. in the cannabis world, it's kind of like that's not even a possibility. So has it been super satisfying being able to utilize all these skills and then kind of having to work within new boundaries, if you will, from like a creative perspective? It has, you know, I think um, it was initially frustrating getting into the cannabis industry because I am an ideas person at Budweiser. They really pushed us to constantly be pushing that envelope and bringing ideas. I mean, we did things like send Budweiser to, you know, to Mars. <laughs> and we, we did kind of crazy campaigns that were designed to keep people talking about a 150-year-old, you know, declining brand, which is a challenge, right? Um so um, initially getting into the industry, we would have great ideas and bring them to clients. And that still happens, that they just can't afford to do them or they just don't have 
the infrastructure um, and just the human resources to help get some things like this done, um, even if they love the idea. And that happens again and again. Um, so absolutely, you know, last year I thought um, it, we really started to get traction working with Canopy Growth because we were able to launch Martha Stewart CBD. Um, and that was really, um, we started to work, you know, with some bigger celebrity names in cannabis. I know, you know, there's a lot more um, mainstream celebrities that are now getting behind brands, developing their own brands. Um, and that was a real moment to do something big and do something mainstream. But we were working with an A-list celebrity and we had, you know, a much larger budget on that project. So even though success is never guaranteed, we knew we had a formula. There was no question that that was going to be successful. Um, it is, you know, I think in general, what's been fun about cannabis is that, you know, even at this point in my career, 30 years in to constantly have to like, you know, solve problems and figure out how to do things faster and cheaper. And, you know, with a, with a small team um, is invigorating. It's kind of like a Wordle. It keeps your brain sharp. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't well have time planned. for Wordle because I'm doing this. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Have you found since you've been in the cannabis industry, the communication with reporters has been less education and more about pitching the stories? Or are you still kind of focusing more on the education and communicating to them some of the benefits of the products and, and less about the stigma? Can you kind of share more about that? You know, it kind of depends on what the product is. There's always a certain level of education. But at this point, most of the major publications have a, at least one reporter who is dedicated to this beat. I mean, even the Wall Street Journal, I mean, granted, they're sharing it with, you know, like beer or vapes or cigarettes. Um, but nonetheless, you know, there are people that are dedicated to the segment. And so, you know, they do understand it. Um, and that is really helpful um, I think what's more important in PR across the board and marketing is you have to communicate relevance. So it's not just product communication, but like why the hell should they care and why do they need to write this story versus the other 89 stories somebody emailed them in the last hour, right? Um, so it's really about building relationships with the press, being able to consistently bring them things that are relevant to understand what they write about and what they don't write about, right? Um, so that you're, you know, you demonstrate that you understand their job and their beat and what they cover. Um, and uh, and yeah, that said, there are some things like, you know, rare cannabinoids that come out, um, you know, CBN, for example, um, being something newer that, you know, has required more education. Um, I think we're starting to see ourselves getting past the like, here's what THC is versus here's what CBD is. We were definitely doing that at the beginning. That is starting to change. Um, so, you know, there's a really mix, a, a mix but ultimately it, it, it comes down to relevance and whatever you're doing, whether it's toilet paper or cannabis, you have to make it relevant for people. And that's where ideas like the brownie, you know, really can be successful because, you know, you're giving them something that they know they're going to get clicks on, that they know is going to perform, um, you know, that you want to help them be successful in giving them a story that, you know, is going to perform for them. Queen of beers to cannabis publicist. I love the tagline. Do you see <laughs> the two industries merging as the future kind of moves in that direction? Oh, yeah. I mean, they already they already are. Um, you know, I think I, I said it up front that when Constellation started moving in on on cannabis, that got interesting. But today, you know, um, I recently spoke at a, a cannabis um, conference, and you know, one of the one of the biggest players, um, you know, SAB Miller Coors, you know, they now have very well. 
They have, you know, a lot of development. Um, they work with trust beverages. So they have a lot of, you know, development going on in this industry. My former um, boss, who was the CMO that hired me at Budweiser, um, just um, moved over to Pabst and they have um, Pabst Labs in California, which is dedicated to THC beverages. Uh, you know, they're really, I mean, Tilray has a partnership with, um, uh, with AB InBev uh, that they call Fluent, where they're developing beverages. So at this point, there's a ton of that going on, um, you know, at the, at the macro level, as well as there's been a lot of really exciting startups like Can, um, you know, or Recess that have, you know, kind of come up very quickly um, and gained a lot of distribution. Um, the other thing I'll say is that what I'm seeing a lot of is these beverages, especially CBD beverages, are starting to really lean on beer distributors as their route to market. So perfect example, Canopy Growth, we launched their first CBD beverage in the U.S. called Quattro um, through a partnership with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, um, which is the biggest wine and spirit distributor in the country owned by, or, or the, their partner is Constellation Brands, the biggest alcohol, one of the biggest alcohol companies. So the same company that is, you know, distributing your whiskey um, and your vodka is now distributing your CBD beverages. And um, those distributors are actually really interested in learning more about the segment. Um, I actually was just invited by some beer distributors to come and talk to them about CBD beverages because they want to learn more. Um, I think that they see that there's money to be made. Um, this was the same way that energy drinks first rolled out was through beer distributors. And now, you know, beverages like Monster, you know, have gained such a share that way. So it's coming together, not just, you know, not just from a brand perspective, but just in terms of the distribution model. And I think that's going to be really interesting, especially when we hit federal permissibility someday and you start to see THC sold in an alcohol uh, store and that will happen. Do you think that they're going to merge and so there's going to be like THC alcoholic beverages from an infusion standpoint or do you think they'll always kind of just run parallel to each other? I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a long time if ever before those merge. I think that that would be like the last line to cross is where, you know, you have them, you have an alcoholic beverage that's also infused with THC. And frankly, that could get a little dangerous. <laughs> like four locos. <laughs> yeah, we right. see what happened with that. <laughs> but I do think you're going to see them side by side on the shelves. Absolutely. And that, um, you know, THC beverages, I think that they have the potential to overtake alcohol beverages. I mean, one of the biggest seg segments that's growing right now is non-alcoholic alcohol, right? So you're starting to see a lot of um, zero alcohol. I mean, O'Doul's was the only thing that exists when I was coming up. And now there are so many no alcohol versions of what would normally be a cocktail or a beer or spirit. Um, so I think people are, are really starting to move into this space where they're less interested in alcohol, but they do want what you know, the industry calls mood modulation, right? Being able to control how they feel. And I think you can really dial that in with cannabis, whether it's CBD, THC, et cetera, um, than you can with alcohol and it can get a lot more nuanced. And that science is still early. I think it's going to continue to evolve and you don't have the negative drawbacks that you have with alcohol around, um, you know, I mean, depends how you, what you, how you feel about addiction in cannabis. I don't believe cannabis is addictive, but, but anything can become a habit. But I think that it's a lot less dangerous than alcohol can be and certainly better for your body um, than alcohol can be for most people. So, um, you know, guys, the limit.
Yeah, we're we're in alignment with that. We are extremely bullish on the the beverage market and think it is kind of still being like slept on as the fact of what mm-hmm. we've seen with the seltzer market and how that's kind of just I would say exploded might be understating how quickly it's risen its popularity. So, Lisa, what's the biggest difference you have found between messaging between the two different categories? Um, messaging beer versus messaging cannabis. Correct. You know, <laughs> it's kind of unfair, um, but. Um, Everybody accepts alcohol marketing, right? Um, And cannabis marketing still remains so taboo. A perfect example of this is when we applied for the Guinness Book of World Records with the brownie, um, we got an email back that said that they no longer accept any admissions of products that are tied to cannabis, you know, a federally illegal adult use drug. And we were like, but it's the Guinness World Records from Guinness beer and adult use beverage, right? So there's definitely this hypocrisy um, around this category where, you know, marketing alcohol is, you know, acceptable and even promoted. You'll see memes all day of, you know, wine moms and red mouth and, you know, and and day drinking. But, you know, cannabis for for any adult, um, you know, people still don't want to let their boss know that they use cannabis um, or their kids know that they use cannabis, um, whereas you would have a glass of wine, you know, in front of your boss or your, your, your children at an, you know, at an event anytime. So it, it's that, it's that uh, natural hypocrisy and, and the taboo nature of it that I think is still going to take a long time to overcome. But that's where, you know, things like the brownie that are done in a lighthearted, humorous way. Um, and that also, you know, hit the today show where my mom is going to hit, see it, you know, hit the late night, you know, where, where people are going to see it, um, you know, starts to, I think slowly make a difference in the public consciousness. And that's already happening when you look at the acceptance rates yeah. of America. I mean, you know, on both sides of the aisle, uh, the majority of Americans are comfortable with cannabis, approve it um, for adult use, um, want to see it legalized, or at least don't care anymore whether or not it is. Um, and also see the economic benefits as well as the, you know, the wellness benefits. So I think changing slowly. Yeah, and I think it's really well said because as as you perfectly stated, people see alcohol commercial all the time. They don't blink twice. They don't assume that Kellen's sitting in his biased computer drinking all day. But when you tell someone else that you consume cannabis, their immediate assumption is, or like I forgot what the politician was where he asked the reporter, Are you high now? And it's just it just kind of shows that we're still so far away. So I guess the question for you is given your experience and, and the importance of Super Bowl from a marketing perspective. When will cannabis companies have the allowance to do that type of messaging? And is there hope in the near future that cannabis can kind of have that public statement where we can kind of start removing the stigma? Well, I tell you, whenever the first Cannabis Super Bowl ad comes out, I sure as hell hope that I'm the one that's working on it. Uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah. That, that, that will, if, if it doesn't happen, it will be because ABI does such a good job of locking out all competition, um, including um, other beers, that I think when you see it, it's going to be when there is a uh, you know, cannabis beverage from one of those big existing advertisers. You know, I've worked with Pepsi, um, you know, obviously with Budweiser, uh, these are all brands that, you know, on some level have their have their fingers or, or at least their their R and D involved in cannabis. And so, I think what you're going to see is probably CBD beverages first that will come out from you know from the Pepsi's and the AB InBev's and the Miller Coors of the world getting the first you know Super Bowl ads, and that's going to be you know a big step in mainstreaming. In the meantime, one of the main things that you learn early in the alcohol industry is 
you know, after the days of Joe Camel, um, you know, uh, the alcohol industry was very smart in creating their own marketing regulations to avoid the government regulating them. So they created, um, you know, some some pretty clear regulations around what is and is not, um, you know, allowed in alcohol marketing that the entire industry self-polices and adheres to. Things like you can't use Santa Claus, you can't use cartoons, you can't show alcohol depicted, you know, people drinking in water or in the car, even if it's parked, et cetera. Um, that doesn't really exist in cannabis yet, but we are starting to see organizations um, like Presco um, who are starting to put out their own marketing regulations. Um, and so I think that there are some things that cannabis can learn uh, from alcohol and, you know, and tobacco for that matter to help accelerate this process by just like sticking to the rules from the get-go um, you know, going to market in the right way from the get-go and self-policing so that they can, you know, grow brands in the right way and they're not going to have some of those setbacks that the other adult use industries have experienced. No more of those candy cigarettes anymore, huh? <laughs> I, I had those in my time. Yeah, you know? me too. Kellen, do you agree yeah. with that from an alcohol standpoint? Yeah, I think it's needed, honestly, from uh, a cannabis perspective. I think it's the only way that we're going to be able to have like le legitimate advertising opportunities is if we're able to put rules together and approach like Google's and Facebook's and all these normal advertising uh, outlets um, with like a, a pre-established set of rules, I think is going to help the conversation. You know what I mean? It can't hurt at all. What do you think? Yeah, I think if anything, cannabis is going to have to play a cleaner game than yeah. anybody else, right? Just Very. because we, you know, it, it's already such a taboo for the reasons we've talked about. There's already so much hypocrisy that there's less room for error, right? Um, you know, so so we need to approach it that way from the get-go. And there's there's definitely been some bad actors in the space. You know, there's, you know, Skittles, you know, Skittles looking um, products that have come out and, you know, some other things that are riding that line. But what I've seen is a real clap back from the industry of, you know, other actors in the industry shutting that down uh, for the protection of, you know, the greater good, right? So I, I think that self-policing is already already happening. The one concern that I have, though, here in the East Coast is that we're just unfamiliar with some of these, like, well-established brands. So sometimes I see mm -hmm. friends would send me a photo of some of these underground products, and they say, look how cool this is, I can get it. And it's like, no, someone didn't buy that illegal dispensary, and here are the reasons why. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, in the other way that goes, he sent it to a friend or someone else's parent or that a child he said. And now you've kind of, like you were saying, we're, we're fighting uphill so so behind and we already feel like we have two hands tied behind our back that it's, it's going to be really challenging. And I'm fearful that if we don't do something quicker from a messaging standpoint, that more bad actors could continue to, to infiltrate the industry. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, but what I am seeing, um, you know, is that there are a lot more, um, there are a lot more marketers from established CPG and retail moving into the cannabis industry that I think are going to make a really big difference. You know, um, one of our clients is MedMen. Um, you know, their CRO who oversees retail and marketing is from Zappos, you know, one of the most successful DTC companies, you know, out there. Um, and, and, you know, we're continuing to see cannabis companies attracting, you know, people from fashion, you know, people from, from Nike, right. Um, people from some of these more established brands. So, 
Um, I think, you know, that they like what, even with Trailblaze, you know, we, one of the things that we say right off the bat is we've from day one been trying to bring a more sophisticated, disciplined approach to cannabis that, um, you know, even if you are, you know, even if you are not a big CBG, doesn't mean you shouldn't try to act like one, even if you don't have their budgets. You know, if you're a Merrimed, right, like doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to market like one. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, we really believe that's possible. And, and I'm really enjoying starting to see the caliber of experience and talent um, in the industry really start to, to lift and change um, as these businesses get a little more sophisticated. Perfectly said. Influencer partnership. How do you feel about celebrities attaching themselves to cannabis brands? Um, I mean, when it comes to attaching themselves to a cannabis brand, that already, that it, it sounds problematic, right? And there's definitely a level of that that happens in cannabis and really in every industry. Um, always celebrities that are just kind of cruising to take a check. Um, and uh, you can you can smell that a mile away, I think. Um, I've worked with celebrities like that and it is incredibly painful. You can tell when they, their heart is not in it, um, when they're just in it for the money and when they don't really want to do anything that's outside of their contract or in their contract for that matter, um, to promote that brand. Right. Um, I think that that it's not bad for the industry because look, any level of, um, celebrity, if it's especially a well-regarded celebrity is going to help bring attention and normalization. Um, but I think what we really want to see is uh, celebrities that are getting into it for the right reasons, that aren't using these products themselves, um, you know, that it is authentic to their brand and who they are and a natural extension of their brand. So yes, there's people like Seth Rogen, right, or, or, who, who make a lot of sense. But there's also, you know, people like Martha Stewart, who, you know, I had the privilege of working with her over the past two years. Um, you know, one of the hardest working women in America I mean, she is in there making those formulations. She tasted every gummy, every CBD gummy on the market available um, and critiqued them to figure out what she wanted hers to taste like and the, the texture, the consistency, the flavors, you know, overseeing the packaging, um, you know, every, absolutely every detail. And then also, you know, really going above and beyond to talk about, you know, these products in her interviews, on her social, um, you know, she does not have to do that. And obviously, you know, really, um, really cares and does use CBD herself and with her pets, right? So when you have a celebrity like that, um, who is really all in, I think that that's very good for the industry and um, is doing what we really want to see, which is, you know, to bring new people into the industry. You know, Seth's fantastic, but I, I don't know that he's bringing people into the industry that aren't already cannabis users. I think Martha is bringing people in, it, even if just as CBD users, but that can be a gateway to, you know, acceptance or to trying other types of products. And she attracts everybody from, you know, 104 to 14, right? So it's a pretty broad spectrum. So, you know, I'm for it. And, and, and it definitely, from a PR perspective, look, having a celebrity is always helpful for, you know, getting a little more attention, um, you know, again, giving reporters a reason to write. Yeah, and I think that is so important, especially from a stigma standpoint, right? Martha has her brand and people trust her. So when she is going through that process and she stands behind a product, others lean onto that and they feel good about trying the product because, you know, maybe they wouldn't try CBD, but if Martha's name's attached, they're more likely to consider it if they're a big fan of the loyalty of the product. So 100% agree there. And I think it's also the, the level of the unexpected. Like there are people that you expect to have a cannabis brand and people yes, that you don't expect, right? Yeah. So again, like 
you expect Snoop to have one. Um, when Martha and Snoop are advertising together, that is unexpected. Um, you know, so in those are it's that type type of novelty that you know to me is always PR gold. It's what made the brownie successful too. Is 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 you know that that sense of of novelty and unexpectedness. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of that in cannabis as more people kind of come out of the closet or even become, you know, kind of adopted as, as new users. Maybe that's your Super Bowl ad right there. Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg and Juan, boom, that's the one industry. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty relatable. Kellen, did you have something you wanted to chime in? Uh, I was just saying Martha's image is so powerful for cannabis and changing the stigma. You know what I mean? Just what she's crafted over her career from kind of like targeting that, that soccer mom demographic, demographic, if you will. I think that's one of the most important demographics, culturally speaking, from an influence perspective, for changing the stigma. So that's oh, that's also who has the purchasing power. You know, that's one hundred percent. the decision makers. <laughs> they are one hundred percent deciding what's coming into the house. You know, they also when it comes to brand building and word of mouth. I mean, so many of my friends in their 30s and 40s come to me and ask me what to buy, especially if they're buying cannabis for the first time. They don't know what to look for in a dispensary. They don't know what CBD brands or formats to try, who they should trust. Um, You know, so I think that, you know, that particular demographic does a great job of educating each other and and sharing products. And uh, so I think that that's where we're going to see the most growth in the industry. Um, so that's any any celebrity or product brand that can speak to that demographic. You know, that's that's really where it's at right now. And I also think that that demographic stands to to gain or benefit a lot from CBD. I mean, anecdotally, it's supposed to help with anxiety. I mean, I've never raised multiple children, but I imagine that's got to be pretty stressful and cause anxiety. It's a nightmare, trust me. <laughs> or been a I'll mom. You've also you've also I've never also been a mom, never. Kellen. You're right about that. I've also never been a mom. Yes, it'll be speaking. In a pandemic, right? I mean, oh, look, goodness. like, that's yeah. the thing is, this is also a population that, you know, has been told to drink wine, you know, um, and, and to use all, and, and coffee, and to use all of these, or, you know, to take, you know, sleeping pills or, you know, all of these different products that they have been marketed that aren't really working out for them. Um, you know, I myself, in the, I didn't start using cannabis until I was in my 40s, right? Um, I had used it, obviously, in my youth as everybody experiments, but then I hadn't really had access to it. And I was in the alcohol industry. So, you know, had a lot of alcohol around me and in my life, but, you know, didn't even really consider using cannabis. And so when I started to get into the industry and educate myself, you know, I actually use cannabis almost every day now um, in in different ways, right? And especially when it comes to microdosing. Um, and so um, I, that's, I think, what's so interesting about this category. It's not very often that you see a completely new segment come out of nowhere um, and a segment that, you know, people can adopt for the first time. I mean, look, in beer, if we did not capture people when they were 21, you know, it was all about like capturing people like right when they entered the category, so to have something like this where you can actually capture people that are can be kind of heavy users later in life in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond is really interesting. Yeah, people walk into dispensaries and they don't know what they're going to buy. Yeah. Where for me back in the day, I'd walk into a gas station and it would be Bud, Bud Light, right? Like I would walk in and that's solely what I'm looking to purchase where people now are still open for kind of manipulation is probably the wrong term to use, but guidance towards a specific brand. And it takes, you know, key Mm -hmm. assets like yourself to help communicate the messages towards those, those targeted demographics to kind of connect with those people. 
Yeah, and that's why PR, I think, is so important because Bud Light can buy ads and surround you with Bud Light, right? Like they, you know, can can put it on TV, they can put it on billboards, they can send it to your phone. So like you're never going to not be getting those messages. Cannabis cannot do any of that. And, um, you know, in, in some states, it's incredibly restrictive. Um, so cannabis, ha- and, you know, they can't even target a Facebook ad at you, right? Or, or Instagram. So um, you have to get really creative in cannabis. Um, and that is why I think there's been such a huge opportunity for PR. Um, in, the, in, in the normal CPG marketing world, PR is always a little bit of the redheaded stepchild with like the slightly smaller budget, right? Like the big budget goes to like the, the social media team, the digital team, um, you know, that's making all of those buys or the people that are, you know, financing all of the Super Bowl ads in cannabis you can't do any of that. So it really does rely on the news media, um, you know, and um, and on influencers and on, you know, some of those more subtle earned tactics where you have a lot less control and you need people to know what they're doing. Do you think that it's more of a forgotten one because brands can't correlate success when they work with PR agencies or you think it's just a misunderstanding of what actually is going on behind the scenes? I think it's all of it. I don't think people completely understand what PR is. Um, I think they can definitely, I think they all want it, but um, they don't necessarily understand it. They absolutely underestimate it and they often underfund it, right? Um, Even though, um, you know, the brownie tactic costs $3,000, like my team costs more than that, right? Like there's manpower behind that. I mean, you do have to, I think, um, really invest in having, um, you know, a strong PR partner and PR to me, the biggest thing that I learned at Budweiser is that PR is always on. A lot of people will contact us and say, you know, I'm launching a brand. I I, like, they basically want to hire us for like 30 days. They're like, I want to get some slides on my investor deck. You know, I want like that Forbes logo and, you know, and, and we don't do that. Like we really only work on a retainer basis with clients year round because, you should be telling your story all of the time. You know, you constantly have to find new ways to talk about your brand, bring your brand to culture, right? Um, and that's where that cultural calendar I, I keep referencing comes, you know, comes up because, you know, there's more than just 420, right? There's times all around the year when you can be talking about your brand in different ways um, or the people at your company, um, you know, telling your founder story. And I call that always on, right? So that's how we like to work with people um, and people that will really invest in that and understand that PR is a critical part of their entire marketing and brand building machine. And it does not sleep. Lisa, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? Mm, About cannabis? In about cannabinoids? Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, I think that people don't think that all they do is get you high, right? So that is um, what's interesting about cannabis is that, um, you know, in the alcohol industry, alcohol is recreational, right? Like that's why people use it. You know, um, in cannabis, there is there are medical people and there's recreational people and there's a lot of people that are both, right, that are hybrid. So I think, you know, people think about using cannabis um, to get high. I mentioned I use cannabis almost every day. I'm almost never high. You know, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like a two and a half milligram mint. You know, I use both CBD and THC for a variety of things, whether it's chronic pain, sleep, you know, anxiety, you know, or, or just recreational purposes instead of having a glass of wine to unwind. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use cannabinoids um, at different levels. 
um, to control all types of different, you know, physical and, you know, mental symptoms and states, right? And I don't think people fully comprehend that. Um, I did not know that we all had an endocannabinoid system in our bodies um, and that, you know, uh, that is, you can, you know, target with all of these different products to have different effects. Um, and I think what really sold me when I first got into the industry, you know, I have, you know, some conditions that I have chronic pain and I was taking, you know, two Advil twice a day. And just by taking, you know, CBD tinctures under the tongue every day in two weeks, I was off Advil, which was kind of mind blowing to me. And that was just for like some pretty minor symptoms. So that really showed me like, look, like you don't have to be a cancer patient to need, you know, to need cannabis. Like there's all kinds of different ways that you can use it to enhance your life, your creativity, um, you know, control pain levels, anxiety levels, get off all kinds of meds, which look, I'm not a doctor. You can't make claims. You have to figure out what works for yourself, but you know, there's, there's not a lot cannabis can't do <laughs> in my opinion. And I don't think people fully comprehend that yet. Well said before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Hmm. I think um, the first thing would be just like to not be afraid to take the leap um, into something new. Um, you know, I, for, for myself in my entire career, it's, I've always tried to kind of be on the um, leading edge and get into things I didn't totally understand. Um, I, you know, I started in tech, I ended up launching the first ever smartphone when nobody ever knew what a smartphone was. And it turned out to be the iPhone, right? Um, you know, when social media first launched and people didn't understand that, and I was trying to explain to clients, like, what is a tweet? What is what is Twitter, right? Um, or, um, you know, Pinterest, right? Um, you know, it, it, people didn't totally understand it, but, you know, trying to kind of get in there and figure out what, you know, what these new industries are, what these new technologies are, and figure out how they're going to apply to your brand is really important. And cannabis was the same way, is... Um, you know, knowing knowing that it was going to become this big, huge industry that was going to affect all of these different, <laughs> you know, functions in society ultimately. But I didn't exactly know how, um, but just, you know, um, taking that leap of faith and getting into it, I've never really had regrets um, about doing that. So I think that's been one of the biggest lessons for me is just to kind of go for it, you know, when you've got something that you're really passionate about. Um, and I think the other thing would just be like that you're never too old <laughs> to um, try something new or learn something new. Like I said, I love seeing people get into cannabis, whether it's a career or whether it's just using it for the first time in their 30s, 40s, 50s, seeing my parents, you know, um, you know, who are boomers and kind of getting interested in it um, again after, you know, a 40 year break, <laughs> you know, from the sixties, right. Or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really about, you know, you're never too old. I love it. All right, Lisa prediction time. This will All be right. a two parter. Right. I'm going to have to add the second part. Cause I need to know this answer. When will we see another brand try and replicate the similar stunt that Mary Med put on second part? What year will we first see cannabis in the Super Bowl? Cannabis-based commercial in the Super Bowl. Mm. Okay, so I've already had people come to me and try to replicate the brownie. <laughs> I, I was assuming that. Uh, other, other clients that have wanted to do something similar, so I think it will probably happen within 90 days in some capacity, right? Um, 
But I think it's less about trying to replicate the brownie itself than the idea of, of the brownie and why it really kind of captured attention. Um, in terms of the Super Bowl and when we're going to see cannabis in the Super Bowl, um, honestly, I think that that's probably still a good four or five years away, not just because of where cannabis is, but just I happen to know a lot about, um, you know, the, the behind the door Super Bowl deals sure. <laughs> and how locked up they are. And like I said, I don't think that's going to happen until, you know, the, the Pepsis and the AB InBevs that hold those multi-year contracts are ready to bring those products to the market. Um, but what I think you will see is you will, um, and hopefully even this year, um, next month you'll see this, is that guerrilla marketing that we always saw. So, you know, we always had the Super Bowl really locked up at AB InBev where other people couldn't really advertise. But what we would see is competitors buying local ads or like doing digital stunts, you know, different things to distract and to kind of get their own share of voice, even though they couldn't buy an ad. And sometimes that's a lot better value. A Super Bowl ad, you know, going rate is three, four million, right? So, um, you know, there's definitely ways to do that more cost effectively. So I think we will see that. I hope we see it this year. Um, I've certainly been trying to encourage some clients to uh, with some ideas of how to do that. Um, but but yeah, I don't think we'll see the actual ad for a good three to five. A marketing, a marketing world within another world. Yes. So Kellen, your predictions. I think that we'll see another stunt for sure. Um, I don't know if it's going to be with food though. I think maybe someone might get creative with a beverage or kind of a different form factor. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. As far as the Super Bowl goes, my guess is that like a legitimate Super Bowl commercial is not going to air until probably the 2030s, right? But I do think that you're going to see like some sort of stunt, right? Like even in, in Colorado, uh, there's like, I think Native Roots or something like tried to buy the name of the stadium. So like I could, like it's in the Super Bowls in uh, at SoFi Stadium this year in California, I mean, I, it, I wouldn't be shocked if there was like some sort of stunt where someone put up a big banner or some sort of like random marketing from that perspective occurred, right? Like someone runs on the field with like a, a cannabis branded poster or something. I could see something like that happening, but I don't think like legitimate commercial in the Super Bowl for probably 10 years. Brian, what, what I've got the idea. I just haven't been able to get a client. Oh, 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 there it is. There it is. You'll there it is. It. You'll see it eventually. I can't give it away right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like I, I've tried to unpack like the, the viral marketing effort and I've shared ideas on that. And I, and I just don't think people realize how hard that is. And I can't even imagine the the conversations you're having, Lisa, where people come to you and it's like, well, can't you just replicate this idea and again? And yeah, if it was only that easy, then sure. You would have done this a million times by now, but like, even me who studied marketing my whole life, I tried to unpack, okay, like I understand why the brownie went viral, but what other product categories could do that? And it's really, really hard to come up with that. So I can't even imagine how, I'm sure we'll see that a bunch of times. We've seen the, the Chiba Chews try it with their, their truck that obviously didn't work out. I didn't even see it, which it's kind of disappointing from their standpoint, but you know, mm -hmm. when probably, probably already happened and we might have missed it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if someone tried to piggyback off that, like you were saying, have a life of its own and try to double down on that. So I would say probably ASAP, if not already. And then in regards to Super Bowl, obviously it's hard since you're way more plugged in than we are and knowing the timeframes and how that works. But I would have liked to guess three years is kind of what I was hoping for. And my thought behind that is once New York comes online, I think a lot of people will start to accept it more from, let's say, United States standpoint. And then I think the expectation is, okay, like the stigma slowly started to get reduced. And because of that, 
people want to expect that. And then I wonder if one of these larger MSOs maybe partners with someone and then challenges in, or if we see a big purchase by a beverage company with a cannabis company, and that's the messaging that goes on because it's a pretty good platform to announce this is our new partnership. You know, what's unfortunate, because I, I speak with a lot of the TV networks, um, and they all have like these advisory boards, these standard boards. And the bottom line is right now, they will not permit cannabis advertising until it is federally legal, right? It's kind of like banks, right? And that's, yeah. I mean, perfect example. We worked with Martha Stewart, CBD, on launching that. She has a regular segment on PBS this morning and Today Show, and they would not allow us to do a segment on her products even though they were just CBD, you know, um, because of that reason. And, uh, and it wasn't even THC, right? So that is kind of the, I think there's a lot of these old school policies that are just written in and there's like this switch that like until it's federally legal and that's affecting everything and it's affecting advertising. So I really think that's going to have to be the lever, unfortunately, before we can actually see TV advertising, not just in the Super Bowl, but anywhere, but that said, just the nature of the way that those types of, of, of um, advertising deals get locked up, it is probably, as you said, going to have to come, you know, from one of the, one of the big dogs. Maybe someone becomes a little more rebellious, a brand that maybe crosses the line a little more, decides, you know what, we're just going to do a surprise tactic and see, and we'll deal with the repercussions because a platform like that to try to swing for the fences might be the best one to do. So. Lisa, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more, and they want to ask you to help them go viral. Where do they reach you? <laughs> um, well, our, our website, our company's Trailblaze. Our website is trailblaze.co, C-O, and they can email me anytime at hello at trailblaze.co, and we would love to talk to them when they are ready to invest and ready to go big and ready to be always on. Um, that's the right time um, to bring us on. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Lisa. You bet. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.